Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. Matthew 18, 1 through 14. And when I end, I will say this is the word of the Lord. And please um, respond back. Thanks be to God. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, Unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how are we doing today? Happy Reformation Day, by the way. Um, for those of us who are Protestants in the room, um, if you're not, if you're not a Protestant, I, well, I'll explain later. Um, pray with me one more time. I, I want us to ask God to, to move mightily in our midst before we go any further. Father, we come to you with great expectation today. Because you have given us very great and very precious promises. You have given us your word. An infallible, mighty, living word that pierces 
our hearts. You have given us your spirit. Your very spirit, the divine spirit, is within us, at work within us. We have the spirit of adoption within us. And God, we've come today to hear from you. We're not here to waste time or to go through motions. We're here to worship the one true God. And we're here to meet with you. And we're here to be changed by you. And so, Father, it's our request as we come right now, as we've set aside this time, as we hear from your word, as we dig into it together, that you would do just that, that you would change us in the ways that we are wrong in our thinking, wrong in our perspective, in the ways that we have been conformed to this world. Change us. Transform us. Move mightily among us, Spirit of God. Come and sweep through this room. Sweep through our souls. Rearrange the furniture. Change us. Change us for good. Change us for your glory. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are going to do a flyover of these 14 verses. It's a lot there, and there's a few different ways to approach a, a, a section of Scripture that's this large. And I'm going to do my best in the small amount of time that I have to give you a picture of what um, you can take away from this today. Several years back, uh, I was seeing a Christian counselor, and the counselor... Um, asked me what was the, the word picture that I would use to describe my life. And I told him, and, um, and he challenged that. He challenged this word picture that I used, and, and he said, it's very important that you not have a wrong word picture for your life because that's going to inform so much about how you respond to things, how you see the world around you and how you see yourself and how you see God and His interactions with you. And so he challenged it, and, and I'm not going to get into all the ways that he challenged it, but I took away so much from that. And, and in the time that I saw this counselor, it's the biggest, it's the greatest, it's the most uh, life-impacting thing that I took away from, from that time. And that's what today's sermon is going to be. It's going to be a, a picture, a biblical picture, for how to see life. So today, you may not walk away with as many um, specific applications as a normal sermon. But rather, I think, what I hope, what I'm praying, is that you'll walk away with a biblical way of seeing your whole life and that has the potential to transform everything about your life. So let's look at this passage, and I want to give you a couple of um, initial insights to help you to understand where I'm going with things, okay? So in this passage... Um, the whole time, we're going to keep coming back to this idea of 
little ones or children. And um, the whole time, Jesus is actually, he starts out with an actual child. But then he shifts, okay? So in verse 4, he says, Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And then, he sh- and then he shifts and he says, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And from this point on, he is referring to all believers as children, little children. And in fact, back in Matthew 11, he, you may remember the scene where he rejoices and he says, thank you, Father, that you've revealed, that you've hidden these things, the things of, about him, from the wise and discerning and revealed them to little children. He's talking about his disciples. And if you read John's uh, letter, 1 John, much of that letter, he's using this language, little children. And so what Jesus is doing is, He's challenging the disciples' perspective. He is giving them a new paradigm through which to see their life. And that brings me to my first point. We are children of the kingdom. We are children of the kingdom, children of a new king. So in this passage, the disciples come to Jesus, and they're asking him, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What's the pecking order here? Who's who's doing the best? Who's achieving the most out of this group? What's our rank? And Jesus can't even work within that paradigm, you see. They're, They're operating from a completely wrong paradigm. And so he says, let me help you out. And he brings a child over. And he says, you've got to become like this child. You, you've got to become like this child to enter the kingdom. Remember, the disciples, they're still operating from this wrong paradigm. They think that Jesus is going to set up kingdom here and now and conquer here and now, and they're going to be like his top dogs. Right? When they're, they're, when they're asking, like, who's the greatest, they're picturing Jesus leading a rebellion to overthrow Rome. <laughs> He's like, okay, let me help you out. You, you guys, you've got to be like a child if you want to come into the kingdom. What has this child done that's great? I kept thinking about my little Millie. Little Millie, she's not even three yet. She is adorable. And, and, she, and she has not done anything great yet. What gives her value is the love that we have for her. What what makes her great is that she is greatly loved. 
And Jesus says, you, you, are, you are operating from a wrong paradigm, disciples. You've got to humble yourself like a little child. You've got to recognize you are weak. You've got to recognize you haven't done anything great. Anything great that you do is going to be because God will work through you. Because you will be a vessel for his power. You've got to change. You see, when we recognize that we are children in this kingdom, then suddenly we begin to ask for everything. As I was working on this, I was working on this particular part of the sermon downstairs. I had my headphones in. And I had noise cancellation on, but it just wasn't working to cancel out my little Millie. And I could hear her in the other room, Mommy, can I have this? Almost immediately after that question, Mommy, can we do this? And then immediately after that, Mommy, could we do this? Can I have this? And I thought, that's, that's, how, we, that's how we operate. This is how we're supposed to operate in this world. We're little children, not big children, little children. We're not, we're not grown up and out of the house and independent and on our own. We're little children in the kingdom. We, we, we have to depend upon him for everything. We've got to ask him for everything, permission. Father, is this what you want me to do? Is this what you want for me now? Is this what is next? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And this is the beginning of the paradigm shift. Is that we're not grown children. We're not independent children who've moved out of the house, out there on our own. We're little children. And we've got to humble ourselves and see ourselves as little children. I don't care if you've been walking with the Lord as long as Miss Shirley has. Which has been a long time. She is, praise God, she is still a little child in the kingdom. Do you know that? We're little children on, our, on a journey growing up, but we're still little children, still in need of our daddy to help us. And so this is the first piece of the shift in our perspective, the shift that needs to happen in our minds and our paradigm, the way that we see Life and the way that we see ourselves, that we in a dark world, alone, wandering around, without life inside of us, part of a rebellious domain, and a king in a faraway kingdom set his sights on us. And he adopted us. He called us his own. He set his love upon us, called us his own, transferred our citizenship from that domain to a new one, from that old kingdom to a new one. Colossians 1.13 puts it this way. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Philippians 3.20 puts it this way. But our citizenship is in heaven. 
So right now, in the present tense, if you are a child of God, your citizenship is in heaven, not here. You're not first and, force, first and foremost an American. If you are from here or from whatever country you're from, you're first and foremost a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2.19 puts it this way. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So listen to this. God, your God, Christian, has adopted you, made you a citizen of his kingdom, and made you a member of his household. You're one of his children. You are considered a saint in his kingdom. And so if you've humbled yourself like a child, if you've admitted your sin to him, if you have cried out to him for help, for grace, for mercy, and he has heard you, and he has cleansed you, forgiven you and cleansed you and adopted you and placed his spirit within you, then you are a little child in the kingdom. That means you no longer want what you once wanted. It means you no longer see things the way you once saw them. It means that you have new desires in you. You want to please your Father. You make it your aim to please Him, the Bible says. The way that 1 Peter 1.8 puts it, Though we have not seen Him, you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So this is the first piece of the paradigm shift. You're a child of the king. You're not an orphan anymore. You're not alone anymore. You're, you've, you've been chosen. The God of the universe set his sights on you, put his spirit within you, and now you see everything differently. This is the second piece of this paradigm shift. We are children not yet home. We're not yet home. Listen to what he says next in verse 5. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. For it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. So here's the second piece of the paradigm shift is that you're not yet home. You're not in your father's house just yet. 
you are still in a far away land. You're on a journey home. And until you breathe your last, you're still on that journey. Notice that he says in verse 5, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. That's the language that the Bible would use to talk about hospitality to a stranger. That's the language that the Bible uses to talk about somebody who's on a journey. You receive them. You receive them in. So there are all of these children adopted by God in all of these places on this journey to their new home. And on that journey, whoever receives them, it's as if they're receiving Jesus. And so we are kingdom children still on a journey. So are you picturing this scene? You've got these children, and, and it's like all of a sudden they go from being zombies to coming alive, having their eyes open. And they look around, and they, and they recognize that, well, I've been asleep. I, I haven't seen rightly the God who made everything adopted me, loves me, has chosen me, has put his spirit within me. But I'm still surrounded by all this mess. And, and that's what he's talking about. He says, he says, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin. So Jesus is painting this picture of this, this danger. He says, Woe to the world for temptations to sin. What is a temptation? A temptation is an urge, an impulse, or a desire to do something that you should not do. It is not sin to be tempted. Jesus was tempted and yet never sinned. A temptation is a... It is... Uh, either an inward desire or impulse or an outward suggestion to do something that you should not do, something that is sin, something that goes against your new king. And so here you are, you've been awakened, you see rightly, but there are all of these temptations around you to rebel against your new father, your new king, the one who loves you, the one who chose you, the one who's calling you home. And those temptations are going to come from different places. They're going to come from the world. And woe to those who bring those temptations to you. Judgment to them. That's what Jesus is saying. Woe, it's, it's a word that means judgment. It's going to come from the world it's going to come from the devil because we know that Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And so there are actual spiritual beings that rule this domain of darkness. And as we are making this journey home in this domain of darkness, these beings are going to try and get us to rebel against the God that has rescued us and is calling us home. But those aren't the only places it's going to come from. 
our own flesh, our own bodies will betray us. We'll seek to lure us away from our new king. Look at what Jesus says. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. What Jesus is saying is that what is at stake is your eternity. What is at stake is your soul. So the Bible describes a already not yet kingdom. And though the kingdom has come, it has not yet fully come. And though you are saved, you are also being saved and will be fully saved at his return. And so in the middle, there is a great battle. This is how 1 Peter 2.11 puts it. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Do you see this picture that we're, we're talking about? Beloved, that's a dearly loved child of God. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, this is someone on a journey in a foreign land, to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. You are a child of the kingdom, and yet you are not home. And until you get home, there is a war. And so you are awakened. You find yourself in a foreign land, and there is a battle all around you. There are enemies all around. The world that seeks to lure you into its mold. The devil which seeks to lure you into rebellion against your new king. And your own flesh which, which seeks to betray you. Your own flesh is against your soul. And so the Bible uses extreme language to awaken us to see how serious sin is. That if we do not fight our sin, if we do not put our sin to death, we will die an eternal death. This is the way that Romans 8, 13 puts it. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. That means go to hell. When the Bible says this, that's exactly what it means. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That means go to heaven. That means live eternally with God. In other words, in the end... It will be shown who were the true children of God. And the way that we will know 
is the true children of God will have made a practice of putting the deeds of their body to death. And those that don't, those that just live according to the flesh, will die forever, perish forever. The way that Jesus puts it in this passage is they will be thrown into the hell of fire. In other words, we must fight our sin. This is not perfectionism. This is not you must become perfect. It's not you must be good enough in order to earn your way into heaven. But the Bible is very, very, very clear over and over and over again, including in this passage today, that if you do not fight your sin, put your sin to death, wage a war against the sin that is waging a war against you, if you do not fight back, you will perish. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. And so, There's no way to talk about this in a way that feels light and fluffy. It is just deadly serious. It is just deadly serious. We have to see that our greatest enemy in this journey home is not the devil. It is not the world. It is our own sin. Our own sin is the only thing that can keep us from heaven. Period. We are on a journey and we are in a war. And so Jesus says, you need to take extreme measures to fight your sin. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. Romans 13, 14 says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. You know what that means at a bare minimum? Is that we need to be willing to be inconvenienced in order to fight our sin. I mean, hands and feet and eyes are pretty convenient tools right? Pretty convenient. And Jesus says, if you can't fight your sin without cutting off your hand, cut it off. And obviously, obviously, he is giving us a picture of the intensity that we are to have in our fight against our flesh. If he would use such strong language, then Don't you think if your smartphone causes you to sin that you could cut it off? Don't you think that if that relationship causes you to sin, you could cut it out? Don't you think that if Netflix causes you to sin, you could cut it out? Or Facebook or Instagram or YouTube or whatever it is, cut it out because your holiness is life and death. Jesus wants us 
to see this, to recognize this. I'm a little child. I'm in a dangerous place until I get to my father's house. In the meantime, I'm in a war. But look, don't picture yourself as this great big bad warrior with a huge sword. No. You're a little child. You're a little child in this fight. And yet you are in the fight. And you should do whatever it takes. You should make no provision. You need to ask yourself this question. We all need to ask ourselves this question. Where am I providing for my flesh to sin? Where am I setting myself up to lose before it even happens? Cut off every source Here's the deal. You might argue, well, it's not my hand that causes me to sin. It's not Netflix that causes me to sin. It's my heart. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. But your heart is feeding on Netflix. Your heart is feeding on YouTube or whatever. I'm just using some examples. And so if you cut the food source off, you starve it. You starve your flesh. And that's why we need to be willing to do whatever it takes not to provide opportunity for our flesh. Third, third point. Lest we think that our ultimate salvation depends upon us because it does not. Listen to verses 10 through 14. He's still talking about us as little children. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Let's consider what we've covered so far. We were orphans in a land of darkness, asleep to reality. He gave us His Spirit. He woke us up. He, he made us alive in Christ. He gave us His own Spirit adopted us, set his love and affection on us, we look around, we realize, I'm adopted, I'm, I'm a child of the king, I'm a citizen of a new kingdom, I don't belong here, but I'm not yet home. And so I make my journey. And as I make my journey, there are people, there, is, there are spirits, and there is my own flesh that are all trying to lure me away, to, to get me to betray my new king, to get me to betray my new identity as a child of God. And how in the world will I get safely home? I'm this little child, a lamb in the midst of wolves. And then we see this. See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Here's what we know. 
our Father has assigned heavenly warrior angels, the hosts of heaven, the Bible calls them, an entourage, if you will, accompanies every one of the little children of the kingdom of God. And what does that tell us? Well, he says, he says, don't despise them. Don't despise one of them. Their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. In biblical times, to see the face of the king meant that you were very high in rank and importance. These are, these are highly powerful holy beings that do not rebel against God. They, they go before the very throne of God to get their orders. Hebrews 1 says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to minister to those who will inherit eternal life? They're, they're, they're helping us get home. The Father has not left us alone. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us an entourage of angels who are watching for us, watching out for us, guiding, directing. And so we don't look down on any child of the kingdom. We don't look at any, any believer as being unimportant, any believer as being ordinary. Every single child of the king is so loved and so valued by the king that he has sent high-ranking, powerful angels on their behalf. So then he says, what do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than the ninety-nine that never went astray. We're given this final confidence to undergird us on this journey home. Our Father will come for us if we go astray. He will come for us. And so while it may feel like this battle, this war is up to us, it's not the whole story. <laughs> That's not at all the whole story. We have a Father who loves us, who rejoices over us, and will come for us if we go astray. What does it look like to be brought back into the fold if we have wandered away? Well, it looks like repentance. In the same story in Luke chapter 15, Jesus adds this, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So how do you know if the Father came after you? If you have ever wandered off, if your heart has ever grown cold, if you've ever walked away from the Word of God or from fellowship with other believers, if you've ever stopped seeing your sin as deadly serious, if you've ever stopped feeling affection for your God, and then somehow you found your way back, He came after you. If you find yourself loving the truth, loving the brethren, 
your brothers and your sisters in Christ, if you find yourself wanting to obey, loving your God, worshiping Him, thanking Him, then He is keeping you. So, little child of the kingdom, don't give up your fight. Don't give up your fight against unbelief and against sin. Don't let down your guard against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Don't lose heart on your journey home. You have a father in a far kingdom who has given to you a holy entourage of angels to accompany you home, who will not let you wander off without going after you and bringing you back. So fight the sin that's at war with your soul. Pick up the sword of truth, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Read it. Obey it. Repent of sin. Confess sin. Do not let sin remain. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body is the way that Romans 6 puts it. Put it to death and you will find your way safely home. May this be our marching orders as we approach this city whose designer and builder is God. It says in 2 Corinthians 7, 17 and 18, Be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me. And do not forget... This promise in Philippians 1.6, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, in this room, there are some who right now have wandered off. Right now, there are some in this room who are off in the mountains. Oh, God, pursue them. Father, go after them. Awaken them to the seriousness of sin. God, help them to see. Help them to see how good you are, Father, that you would adopt them that you have loved them, that you would transfer them out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of your beloved Son, that you would make them citizens of heaven. God, bring them back to the fold. Lord, for those who have not yet become a part of the fold, those who have not yet seen, oh God, breathe upon them. Awaken them. Help them to see your goodness and beauty and glory. Help them to see the darkness around them. And God, I pray that they would see their sin as wicked and that they would turn from it and turn to you and trust in your son and in what he has done for them on the cross. Give them life in his name. Father, help us on this journey home. Help us not to lose heart. 
God, see us safely home. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.